something exciting that is coming. Um, it is going to start on the third weekend in January, and it's something that we've been talking about as leadership and staff, and, and I'm excited about it. So you know if you've been in our classes, we've been talking about kind of vision, things that, that God is calling us to do and to be. Um, and so what we're going to do is in four weeks' time, a, sp- a span of four weeks, we're going to be kind of talking through how we are going to attempt to live out the vision that God has called us to uh, towards. Now, um, have y'all, y'all been to a conference, right? Been to a conference, you know, you go to one of those for the weekend. It's usually Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You've got keynotes, you've got breakout sessions. Well, we're going to do something similar, but over a four-week span of time. Uh, still having church just like we always do, and this is going to be kind of where I hope that, that we'll get excited together about this vision that God's calling us to. Uh, but the classes are going to be optional. You can kind of go to as one or several. There are going to be several different offerings. We're going to have uh, some that are, are very practical, some are very scripture-based on how to uh, kind of do this, do, do the vision. You know, we're calling it REACH. It's, we're going to call it a vision conference of 2019, but I'm excited because it's going to be um, a time where we can get excited about what we've been called and gifted to do, and, and we kind of see a lot of this already happening with our campus center and with Rust Street and with some of the people that begin ministries in this church. God's calling us to something. And so through this four weeks, we're going to be, it's going it's to feel interesting. We're going to kind of come in. You get to choose which class you want to go to. We'll have a little program. You can kind of choose which class. And it's going to be helpful for everyone and hopefully encouraging and inspiring so that we can lean into the vision that God is calling us to do, to be. Uh, we're calling it REACH. How are we as a church family able to reach up? How are we able to reach in? And how can we reach out? So over four weeks, January 20th through the second weekend in February, we're going to be going through this. So be ready. This is happening. And this is a good time to invite people, too, because it's going to be uh, a lot of things for everyone. And I think you will be blessed by it. Uh, So today, as we begin, we're, uh, we're in this gifted series. And what I'd like to do is begin with a video And I think that this video is kind of asking the questions that I'm sure we are all asking. Um, Let's let's watch. No resolution. Sorry about that. <laughs> you were ready for something nice, and oh, that's how I can experience. No. <laughs> that's the Spirit's job today. But the questions are, oh man, how many of you can relate to that? Okay. Credit card reaches new heights. You know, you may not reach much new heights in life, but your credit card balance will. 
As we begin with that question in mind, let's pray today. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for the ability to come to this place today. Thank you for giving us the desire and the willingness, Lord. We know that all the desire for you comes from you. We can't do it on our own. Lord, you've given us this spirit, this, this, this desire. So thank you from, from the depths of our heart, Lord. Whether we're young and we were here with our parents, whether we're older and we're here on our own by ourselves, Lord, thank you for giving us that, that spirit to want to know you. And we pray that it continues and increases today. Lord, we speak about joy. And although it's a great idea, Lord, I know that some of us, for some, it eludes us. So we pray that you would open our hearts. Just help us to grab onto one thing this week. One thing we can take with us that would be encouraging and, and helpful. Lord, this is for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by saying that what we're speaking about today is not an easy subject. Um, a friend of mine, a really good friend, he, he preached a sermon called, he called Rejoice, and he said, Rejoice, it's a choice. And, and it's, it, it was a very, very good message, but later that afternoon, he was fired. <laughs> so um, he told me after, he said, you know, it's really hard when you preach about something, you actually have to live out. Because that wasn't good. It was hard. So I've been apprehensive today, elders, just so you know, I'm preaching on <laughs> joy. <laughs> just, okay. But the idea is true, is that, you know, joy, it's difficult. You know, and, and I think today, hopefully, we'll, we'll see that, that joy may not necessarily be easy. It's really how we choose to see the world but hopefully you can, you can have something that you can take home with you that will help you to experience and see joy. It is a gift, after all. I mean, so right now, it's the most wonderful time of the year. At least that's what the songs say. But for many people, joy is elusive. It's elusive. And how many people in that video could really, we could have asked those exact same questions with the exact same mannerisms. Well, several of us. I mean, I get it. I get what they're going through. Of course, I have seen some people who are joyful. They're very joyful. But these are people who don't seem to be unhindered by the world. They don't seem to be bothered by the weights that the world likes to put on our shoulders. Some of them have been through a lot, but they're still joyful. Some of these people, their past is messy. Their future is a little murky. Their present is complicated, but for some reason they seem joyful. Yet others who seem to have it all together, they look good, dress well, they smile, they have resources, they have gifts, they have family, they have social standing. Some of these people, they live as if they have nothing. They pursue this elusive word happiness in anything and everything. In fact, many of these folks, they find more of everything except joy. Where are you on this spectrum? Not joyful, joyful. 
that was a spectrum. Where are you on this? Are you joyful? Are you in the midst of a pursuit of happiness? Assuming that once you have that, once you get exactly what you want, then joy is going to follow. You know, we should know better. We're, we're followers of Jesus. We should know that happiness is temporary. We should know that happiness and joy are not the same thing. We should know this, but it seems that all too often we're more interested in the pursuit of happiness than we are with the reality of joy. And I say reality because it is a reality. Happiness is that thing that you you can grab on just for a second, but it's gone. It's like cotton candy. But joy is a reality. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This is where we're going to be. Let me give you a little history. I'm, I'm sure you know all about Philippi, but I'll just I'll give you a little history. By the time this was written, Philippi was an ancient city. By the time that Paul was there, you know, it was an ancient city, hundreds of years old, uh, with a heavy population of military presence, a military presence. It wasn't necessarily a, like, like a base city. It's not like this. I mean, this we have Goodfellow, but a lot of these people were retired military. They had been through it. Talk about PTSD. I mean, these people, they had it in very real ways. It was a retirement city for the military who had done some amazing and terrible things. We don't know how how long Paul stayed here, but it was at least, and it doesn't sound like a long time, it was at least several days. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. It could be weeks, maybe a month. I don't think it was as long as as it seems, but it was several days. But he loved the people here in this place. He loved them. It's, it's the town where, where he met Lydia down by the river. There was no synagogue in that town. And all they had was a place of prayer. When you see this place of prayer, it's because they don't have a synagogue. Um, when Paul arrives at this place of prayer, he sees several women there. And what this tells me is that there weren't enough male Jews in Philippi to start a synagogue. And that time you needed around 10 male Jews who were serious about it to start a synagogue. And who did he find? He finds a majority of God-fearing women. Lydia was one of them, an influential, successful businesswoman, wealthy woman who believed. He baptized her, baptized her family. And she would most likely become one of his fellow workers and founders of this little church in Philippi. This was a city where he cast out a demon from this little slave girl. She kept following he and Silas around saying, Everyone needs to know these are messengers from God. Listen to them. And he finally gets tired of it and he just says, Demon, come out of her. Well, her owners got pretty angry because she was their moneymaker. He got so angry that they riled up the people, beat he and Silas, threw them both in jail. And as they were locked in chains, an earthquake comes, almost destroys the jail. Places in rubble, chains are off, such a violent incident that the prison doors were broken down. It was a place where their panicked jailer comes And he sees them, and he finds them singing and praising God when they could have escaped. 
He was so grateful that they didn't run away that he believed. He believed. His entire family were baptized. It's the town where there were so many wonderful things and people that he truly loved. It was a city that had such promise. But Philippi was also the town that beat him, hurt him, disregarded his rights, his citizenship, jailed him like a common thief, and then kicked him out of town. Said, please don't come back here anymore. Leave. Have you ever been thrown out of town? <laughs> I mean, I, I know several of you have probably been fired. And that's hard in and of itself. I mean, you're there one day doing your best. You know there's issues. And then the next day you're gone. It's hard even for, for being in a business because that's some of your social class. You know, you have friends and then suddenly you're gone. If you're in ministry, it's hard because it's your church. It's your business. It's your social friends. You're one day you're there, next day you're gone. You ever been thrown out of town? <laughs> I mean, a whole group of people, thousands, says, yeah, we don't want you. It's painful, I'm sure. And I wonder if what happened to Paul had happened to any of us, what would we choose to remember? I know for me and my memories... Those difficult times that we've been through, my thoughts aren't always positive. And for Paul, whenever he thinks of Philippi, he sees the people that God sent him to. Isn't that weird? He doesn't, he's not thinking about the beatings. I mean, someone hits the back of our car, we go irate and ballistic. Imagine if someone comes up to you and beats you and then throws you in jail for no reason. But when Paul thinks about that time, he's thinking about the people that he loves, his friends, what God has done. He sees the people God sent him to. He thinks about what they're doing, the work that he has heard that they are doing. And his choice was to continually remember the people he had grown to love. This little church for which he was so thankful. You know, in the competing hard drive space that's Paul's mind, he chose to think of the good in that place, the love that was shown, the lives that were redeemed, the people that were saved, and the hope that more would follow. That's what he chose to remember. And by the time Paul even writes this letter, it's, it's years later. He had seen even worse persecution than what he had experienced in Philippi. He would probably consider that a little beating compared to the things he's been through since then. He had seen and he had been through a lot, but he continued to remember the good of those people that had brought him joy. He would remember them because they had seen their fair share of persecution. And maybe it had gotten worse in some instances, but it seems that there were some Jews, some other people in this, in this city who were trying their best to um, veer these group of this group of followers to do things their way, to do things that weren't necessarily right. They were doing their best to, to try to power, use their power and control over them. And, and some of the conflict had even made its way into their little church. And although he doesn't say exactly what the issues are, he knows that if they aren't focusing on the good, this little congregation could fracture. So he singles out two leaders of this church. Now I say leaders because 
very rarely would he just single out a person who's not necessarily in a leadership position. He singles out two leaders, Euodia and Syntyche, who are having some sort of a conflict. We don't know what that is. But this is enough that he pleads with them to make it right. Because what they're choosing to do and what they are choosing to remember matters to those people in this town. And as he writes this letter to his friends, he says this in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, as we look at Scripture, we look for certain things that seem to be commands. This does not seem to be a suggestion. This is emphatic. And if you read this letter, you'll hear Paul talk about joy several, several times over and over and what it means to celebrate that joy because his joy comes from the love and friendship that he has with these people. But it's not a friendship that is, that is founded on personality, similarities, or even likes or dislikes. This is a friendship based in the reality that they have been saved, redeemed. They've met Jesus together. It's a friendship that is joyful. You know, joy and rejoicing for Paul always surrounds the Lord being made known to others because that is enough for Paul, that the Lord is made known to others. And that's where he finds his satisfaction. And I wonder if joy is that moment when you find your satisfaction. I was doing a research, uh, just researching videos this week, and, and I came across this one. I'm not going to show it because it's, 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 it's great, but it's just sad. It's the moment when the Cubs won the World Series. Granted, it's been 108 years. Pretty big deal. But the pictures were people so excited. Home videos on their knees, crying, rejoicing. Satisfaction had come. And I'm like, yes, oh. Then there's always next season. Have you found that satisfaction in knowing that God is near? Whenever you think the Lord is near, are you like, ah? Because the Lord is near. Paul's telling his little church who have some significant challenges, he's telling them to rejoice. He says to Euodia and to Syntyche to get along and to be of the same mind. And he's not making light of their situation. He knows how serious this is, but he tells them still, he tells them to rejoice. He tells them to be gentle, because a lot of times when we're in arguments, we're not gentle with one another. And he's not just saying, be gentle in private. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. Be gentle with one another. Rejoice. My question is this, do you really want to experience joy this season? Then choose to remember that the Lord is near. I'm not making light of anybody's situation in here. I know for some there is probably not a more anxious time of the year than these four weeks. Trying to ensure that the gifts are there, that the attention is, is given well, that everybody's happy. You know, we, we focus so often on things being just right. It's almost like we're trying to cram an entire year's worth of family time into four weeks. Now if this is us, if this is you... It makes sense why we're anxious. 
His anxiety is all over the place, and there's enough to go around. In Philippi, there were competing interests, just as the same as it is with us. We are in this season of Advent, the season where we're waiting for the birth of Jesus. We're, we're, we're walking through life in expectation that the Lord is going to be born. The moment that hope enters the world, we're talking about the gift of Jesus next Sunday. We're waiting for that moment when we get to celebrate. We're waiting in expectation, but society tells us that the season is about happiness. That can be found through things, through keeping up, through the right pictures and through the right moments on Facebook and Instagram. It's creating the perfect moment. That's happiness. But we know inside it's not about happiness, but rather about the joy that, that God is near. And God, He wrapped Himself in skin. Somebody put on their Facebook this week, God wrapped Himself in skin. He gave Him organs. He gave Himself kidneys and a heart because he wanted to be like us he wanted to be with us he wanted to be near us and he didn't just come to come he came because he wanted to give us redemption and hope and god who would is always offering us a do-over is here to give us something even more than that joy because paul had chosen to accept this gift at some point in his life and and to keep it close. He didn't just say, oh good, I have joy, and then went about his life. He treasured that gift. He held it. He wasn't naive. He was satisfied in the Lord. Now granted, satisfaction seems to, to be elusive, doesn't it? But I think Paul found moments that joy filled him. And this command to rejoice, it comes from Paul's life of experience. It comes from a life of rejection and torture and and abuse, ridicule, suffering. A man who could have found every reason to be angry with God. Oh, you want me to serve you, but you're going to treat me how? No. Even as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he's in jail. (laughs) He's telling them rejoice. He languishes in prison. He's telling them, don't wait till you're happy until you find joy. Claim joy now. Rejoice in the fact that the Lord is near. But the reality is that anxiety lurks around every corner. Anxiety can steal our joy. It can can come in between us and our realization and what we choose to see and what we choose to remember. Anxiety is the sense that we don't have enough. We don't have enough of what we want or what we need. And anxiety is dissatisfaction. And, and, and Paul's answer to this, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Is this realistic? I mean, when I feel anxious, should I pray? Anxiety is a very real issue in our fallen world. Anxiety is a feeling that things aren't right. Things aren't how they're supposed to be. And in this season, I'm constantly reminded that things aren't how they're supposed to be. The world has fallen and very few people are satisfied. And conflict is all around us everywhere. It's, it's here. It's, it's, it's abroad. People have moments of kindness and moments of togetherness. But for the most part, it's broken, isn't it? I mean, how can we not be anxious when we watch the news? But Paul reminds us that the gift of joy is not something to be pursued It was a gift that's given to us. It's a gift so wonderful that we can experience it no matter our situation. It's a gift that is experienced not through things, but through prayer. I know, it 
If you went to a therapist and he says, oh, anxious, just go home and pray. We'd probably laugh at him. I'm not going to disclaim that there are some very real issues, but I believe prayer is transformative. It is a connection between you and God. It is a connection between you and joy. He continues and he encourages us, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. Peace will guard you. It's a word that we don't really know what to do with. It's, it's, it's this Hebrew word shalom. It's this word that means wholeness and unbroken and complete. Joy can be experienced when we choose to be with our God, to pray, to, to ask, to be thankful. It's a relationship. It is a connection. And this connection does something for us. It offers us something that the season cannot, something a present cannot offer us. It offers us a place to focus our attention through the good, through the bad. It gives us a place to rest, a place to be, a connection that helps us to remember where we need to focus. And he says, in a very practical way, this is what you need to be focusing on. <clears throat> whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. To choose to remember the good, to choose to see the pure, to choose to see the lovely and admirable, even in the most messy of people? This is to choose joy. When we see others, we remember our past and those difficult moments in our life. Can we choose to remember the good and the noble? Because I think to choose the good is to keep our eyes on the one who's ultimately good. Through the pain, through the suffering, through the feelings of inadequacy. Because when we focus on God, I think we realize just how near He really is. Because the Lord is near. I think He's closer than we might even realize. And when we stop for a moment and choose to focus on the good, the noble, the holy, the righteous, we will see that it is God we are looking at. And that He is right there next to us. How could we not rejoice? I found this one video, and I think it sums this all up. Could we, in a moment of our life, choose to have an unbroken connection as we look at our Father? I think in those moments we see a child and the reaction he may have when he stares at his mother.
Now, watching this, it goes on a little long, and you think, I'm, I feel weird because I'm, I'm in their intimate moment here. But I believe that if we choose to look at the good, if we choose to remember well, if we choose to see the noble and the holy and the upright, when we look at that and choose to see and to stare, we are staring into the face of God. How could we not rejoice? Because it's not temporary. He's right here, available to any and all who believe. It's joy, and it can be experienced right here, right now. I choose to encourage you to see the good, to remember well. Shelly and I will be down here for prayer if you need it. Our elders will be all around this building. I encourage you, seek them out and pray. Ask for prayer or just pray for them. Choose to see what the good God has given us really, really is. And you will find joy. Let's stand together. Let's sing. The joy of the Lord who is